Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week, we're doing an archive show. This is a Boomer Boulevard show that was first broadcast back on the 28th of January in 2019. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. All right, let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Welcome from the frozen tundra of St. Louis. I know a lot of you are suffering. A lot of you are suffering. I'll tell you what. Tuesday, (laughs) coming up in St. Louis, it's supposed to be minus three degrees. On Wednesday, our high is going to be seven degrees, and our low is going to be zero. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Chester is ready for it, though. Chester, what have you got on? Wait a second, he's, he's got on an Arctic Iron Tough insulated coveralls with hood, a quilt line Arctic Yukon jacket, insulated heated thermal socks. They're heated? How, how do they heat socks? And, and then he's got on extreme cold weather Antarctic winter boots. <sighs> you know, the trouble is, Chester, you can't move. You ought to see him. He, 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 He's just standing in there stiff. Well, anyway, we got a great show lined up for you tonight. So if you want to come on in and get warm, and what we have lined up tonight is an episode of Dragnet that we haven't played for a while. And, I mean, we've never played this episode before, but we haven't played Dragnet for a while. Then we've got um, an episode of Have Gun, Will Travel. We're going to follow that up with Father Knows Best. And as we always do, we're going to end the show with an episode of Gunsmoke, another one we've never played before on Boomer Boulevard. So everybody, come on in. This is the uh, the show where we play old-time radio programs we actually remember from when we were kids because we're baby boomers. But everybody's welcome. So get warm, get uh, cuddle up there, and we're going to get started in just a moment.
right, we're going to start things off with just about everybody's favorite cop show from the 50s, and that's Dragnet. This one was first broadcast on NBC on the 23rd of November back in 1954, and we find that Joe and Frank are working in burglary. So here we go with Dragnet and the Big Present. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a burglary detail. In the past two months, a thief has broken into 18 markets. There's no lead to his whereabouts. No clue to his identity. Your job? Get him. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Monday, December 14th. It was cold in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of burglary detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Bernard. My name's Friday. We were on our way out of the office, and it was 8.05 a.m. when we got to Georgia Street Juvenile Bureau. Sergeant Lindsey Simmons' office. Yeah? Well, did you give it to him? Uh-huh. Yeah. What'd he say? Yeah. <laughs> When'd he come back? Uh-huh. Well, did he have it for you? Yeah. <laughs> well, that'll teach you not to go that route anymore. All right, Patrick, tell the sergeant to call me when he gets back. Right. Oh, hi, Friday Smith. Oh, hi, Lindsay. Good morning, Sergeant. Just talking to Gene Patrick over at Highland Park. You know him? Yeah, I met him a couple of times. Picked up a youngster a couple of days ago on suspicion of burglary. Brought him into the office, and Patrick talked to him. Yeah. Well, he finally bought it that the kid didn't have anything to do with the thefts. He told him to go home. Uh-huh. Kid told Gene he didn't have the money to get home, so Gene gave him 20 cents. Kid swore he'd come in and pay it back. Did he? Yeah, he came in this morning, gave Patrick two dimes. Told him thanks for believing the story. Mm-hmm. Then Patrick got the kicker. Kid really did break into a house last night to get the money. Well, what's Patrick got to say about that? <laughs> Says the kid's honest in a sort of way. He did pay him back. Well, where's the youngster now? Got him over Highland Park Juvenile. I better call Gene. Maybe I can give him a hand. I got a couple of streetcar tokens I won't be using. Might like to have them. Huh? Oh, hold it. If I was you, I don't think I'd bring it up to him for a couple of days. Well, what can I do for you two? Well, Lindsay, we've been working on a string of burglaries. You maybe got the word on them. I don't think so. What's the story? Bunch of store burglaries. Papers that tagged them. The milk bottle jobs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, seems Hartgrove was telling me something about them the other day. And where do we come in? Well, the way the jobs look, we've been thinking they maybe belong in your department instead of ours. How you figure that? First off, the milk thing. What do you mean? Every job he's pulled, we found an empty milk bottle on the counter. Okay, what's that prove? Well, milk and kids go together. Sure, sort of milk and ulcers. Maybe a thief's got the bull horrors when he gets into the store. No, Lindsay, there's another thing. The way he prowls the places, all he takes is petty cash. Just a couple of bucks outside. Candy, cigarettes, nothing big. Some of the places he's gone into, you could open the safe with a pocket knife. And he hasn't even made a move toward him. Maybe he's a kleptomaniac. Got a lot of them on the books. Maybe that's the way he gets his kicks. Oh, it's a nice try, Lindsay. If you know anybody that can climb through a 14 by 10 inch hole, you trot him up and we'll talk to him. Okay, I haven't got the names on my desk, but you take a trip to Santa Anita, you'll meet a lot of them. Jockeys. You guys know we'll go along with you on this thing. Anything we can do, but until we're sure that there's a juvenile involved, there's nothing we can do. 
Anything turns up, we'll be sure to turn it over to you. Now, look, we're not trying to palm this thing off on you, Lindsay. We've had the stats office make so many runs on small adults that the cards are wearing out. It just seems that none of the leads we've been chasing come out anywhere. We figured that maybe you could come up with some answers for us. Well, it's a new one on me, Joe, this milk bet. I've heard of a couple of thieves that went for it, but I can't name you a juvenile offhand. I'll pass the word around the day watch, see what they can come up with. I'll leave a note for Hartgrove. He can pass it on the night watch. Well, I appreciate anything you can do. No trouble. Been running you ragged on this, huh? It's pretty rough. It's just that we can't seem to be able to come up with anything that adds. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. Georgia Street Juvenile, Sergeant Simmons. Yeah. Yeah, they're here. Which one? Okay, hang on. For you, Joe, your office. Thank you. Friday talking. Yeah. Right away. What's the address? Uh-huh, yeah. No, I got it. We'll leave right away. Who? Yeah, call him. Thanks. Well, come on, let's go. The milk bottle kitty hit again. The call had come from Lieutenant Ginder in burglary. He told us that he'd just gotten a call from a storekeeper named Marty Derabertus. The man had called to report a burglary at his store at the corner of Jackson and Broadway Streets. Lieutenant Ginder told us that the crime lab had been notified and had dispatched a crew to investigate the premises for physical evidence. Frank and I left Georgia Street Juvenile. We drove over to Figueroa. Then we turned over onto Broadway. The store that had been broken into was a small Italian delicatessen on the southeast corner. By the time we got there, the crime lab crew had already arrived and was winding up their investigation. We walked into the place and we met with Ray Pinker. Hi, Joe. Frank. Ray. Hi, Ray. How's it going? Usual thing. Bottle of milk on the counter. You want to check it over? Yeah. Come on back here. Thief made his entrance back here at the rear of the store. There it is. Broke out the window pane. Yeah. Not very big, huh? Measures nine and a half by twelve and three quarters. No alarm on the window, huh? Yeah, you can see the wires here. Take a look. Oh, yeah. How come the alarm didn't go off? I talked to the owner. He said he's had trouble with the alarm system the last couple of weeks. Called the company and asked him to fix it. Mm-hmm. He thought it was okay. Guess there's something wrong someplace. Didn't work last night. What kind of alarm was it, Ray? Outside on the building. You know the kind. Yeah. What did he take this time, Ray? Usual run of stuff. According to the owner, there are about four cartons of cigarettes missing, several boxes of candy. Can't be absolutely sure. Says so he's got to check his stock. Be better if you talk to him on that. Yeah, we will. We'll catch him later. Want to wait a minute? I'll check and see how the boys are doing on the prints. Had him check the counter in the milk bottle. Fine, thanks, Ray. Be right back. Right. Well, I wonder when we're going to blow the whistle on this guy. I don't know. Can't do it fast enough for me. Well, I'm with you. Hey, Joe. Hmm? Look at this. You know, I'd like to get a couple of those before we leave. What are you talking about? Salami, Joe. Those right there, the hard Italian kind. Mm-hmm. See, right there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember last summer I was up in San Francisco. Yeah, I remember. Went up there to pick up a prisoner. Remember, you were collecting days off. Yeah, I recall. I had a hundred of them coming. Yeah, <laughs> pretty funny. Anyway, I met Dan Shelley up there. You mean the Irish tenor? Yeah, he and I went down to Cookie's Bar for lunch. Cookie had some of this salami. Sliced it like paper. You could almost read through it. Oh, that's the way it's supposed to be. I know, Joe. Anyway, Cookie sliced up a bunch of it, served it with cold cracked crab. Boy, I never tasted anything so good in my life. Yeah, don't you ever read the newspaper through sliced salami? Yeah? Well, I never have. Have you? All the time. Just the funnies. Well, anyway, Faze tried to find them for me. Salami like this. Brought home all kind of things, but she's never found the right kind. You know, they'd be hard enough to pound tax with them. She got them home. Boy, never forget old Cookie and that spread. <laughs> well, if you can get your mind off food for a minute, and I know that'll be tough, let's get on with this thing, Joe. Yeah. Sure got to buy some of these before we leave. <laughs> Just like Cookie had. Yep. Just finished the powder, Joe. Yeah. Nothing. Whoever it was drank the milk, he took the bottle out of the refrigeration compartment. Bottle sweated, and there isn't a print on it we can lift. That's too bad. None of many places, huh? No, we've gone over the place from top to bottom. Till there, we can't find them. That's not much help, is it? 
came up with one thing. Maybe you can make something out of it. What's that? Outside the window in the back parking lot. Came up with an open package of cigarettes. Don't know if it belonged to the thief. Anything on it? No. Fog last night ruined any prints that were on it. Boys have got it if you want it. Yeah. Well, we take a look at it. Looks like everything's against us, huh? Another blank. Don't envy you guys trying to break this one. Most of the time there's a leak someplace. Somewhere along the line the guy's going to make a mistake and not cover something. Yeah, we've been saying that for weeks. This is either the smartest thief I've ever seen or the luckiest. What's this make for him? Number 19. A lot of chances to take for nothing. He's not getting anything out of the jobs. Maybe he isn't, but we are. What? Headaches. 9.38 a.m. We talked to the victim. He told us that as near as he could figure, there was approximately $4 stolen from the store. He went on to say that he'd ascertained that five cartons of cigarettes and several boxes of candy bars were taken. He was unable to tell us if any other merchandise was taken until he'd made a complete inventory. He went on to tell us that there was over $600 in the safe, but that as far as he could tell, there'd been no attempt to break into it. We made a canvas of the neighborhood and talked with the neighbors. None of them recalled having seen any suspicious people in the neighborhood the night before. None of them had seen any suspicious automobiles in the area. The one thing that was apparent was that the thief was working in a definite pattern. He worked only on Friday and Saturday nights, always between 8 p.m. and 12 midnight. Frank and I met with Captain Bernard, and it was decided that we would maintain a rolling stakeout in the area in which the suspect operated. Four other cars from Metro Reserves were assigned to work with us. For the next five nights, we worked without results. It was slow and tedious, but considering the lack of information on the thief, it was the only way we had left. We had to be on or near the scene when the thief struck again. Saturday night, December 19th, Frank and I met and drove out to the area. The streets were crowded with early Christmas shoppers. I'll sure be glad when it's over. Why? What's the matter? How many rooms in your apartment, Joe? Three. You know that. You've been there. Yeah. No, that won't be enough room. What are you talking about? Faye. What's Faye got to do with this? Hack, Joe. Real hack. Why? What's the matter? I got up this morning. I felt great. Faye's got breakfast on the table. All nice. Couple eggs, little pig sausages. Nice, you know. Yeah. I come down to the table, she's got the food on, and I hit her with it. What, the food? No, Joe, I hit her with what I'm about to tell her. I tell her I'm going to have to work tonight. Uh-huh. You've worked every night this week. What's wrong with that? Well, that's the way I figure it, so I got a way out. You have, huh? Mm-hmm. Today is Faye's birthday. Well, you didn't tell me. It's not good to tell people, Joe. Oh, it isn't? No. Faye's over 30. Yeah, I kind of figured that. Don't you get it? <laughs> I'm sorry, pal. You left me a couple of blocks back on this one. Look, Faye... I may never catch up. Faye's over 30, Joe. She's getting to the point where she's taken off years, see? How can you give a person a, a last birthday present? Yeah. I tell you about it, you're going to give her a present. Only now instead of 30, she's 29. You understand? Well, to be perfectly honest with you, no. But as long as you do, it's perfectly all right with me. Yeah. What about this morning? Well, I told her I was going to have to go to work. I got this present for her. Brand new deep fat fryer. Real good. What? All wrapped up. Deep fat fryer. All wrapped up with ribbon. Beautiful, shiny, beautiful. So you gave it to her. Did it do any good? Not a pound. You know what she does with it? Well, at this point, I wouldn't even want to guess. I'm serious, Joe. This may mean the end of my home. Go ahead. She doesn't even open it. Just puts it in the closet on the back porch. Doesn't even pull the paper apart to peek at what's in it. Real mad, Joe. She may not let me back in the house tonight. Well, you can apologize when you get home. I don't know, Joe. Faye's pretty sore. Didn't even open the present. Not Wait a even a peek, huh? Listen. Yeah, tell where it's coming from? Yeah, sounds like up on 7th. Come on. Yeah, right here. Pull up. 
Come on. I'll take the front. All right. Hey, hold it up there. Police officers, stop or I'll shoot. Frank, he's coming around your way. Okay. Take it easy. Go ahead and shoot. Come on and kill me. Go ahead and shoot me. It doesn't matter anymore. Go Everything on. all right? Yeah. Just a kid, Joe. Yeah, I see. What are you doing in the store, son? What do you think I'm doing? He asked you a question, son. Pretty stupid. What do you think I was doing? How many stores you broken into, son? Figure it out for yourself. Look, what do you got a chip on your shoulder You're for? big guys. Don't give me a lot of conversation. Do what you want to do. All right, boy, you call it. Come on. p.m. We called the office and told them that we had a subject in custody and that we were taking him to Georgia Street Juvenile Bureau. We put the boy in our car and we waited until a radio car arrived. We asked the officers to notify the owner of the store and stand by until he got there. We also asked that they make a 459 report. 11.55 p.m. We started to take the youngster to the Juvenile Bureau. What's your name, son? What difference does it make? Acting like that isn't going to help you. You guys pick me up, remember? You worry about it. I got nothing to be afraid oh, of. Oh, yes, you have, boy. You could have been shot back there. Maybe you should have pulled the trigger. Look, son, what's the matter with you? Why are you acting like this? You just got real lucky back there. That's the only reason you're alive now. It was dark in there. As far as I could tell, you were an adult. You didn't stop when I told you to. Now, according to the book, I could have shot you. You know that, don't you? Killing a kid. That'd make you a big man. No, I'm just bringing it up to prove a point. Save it. Now, look, son. I want to tell you something. When you break into a place at night, you're not a kid anymore. You're asking for trouble. You've got both your pockets full of it. The way you work tonight makes us think you're mixed up in a lot more thefts than just tonight. That right? You ever been arrested before? No. Never been in trouble with the law, huh? Sure. I'm a real criminal. I got a ticket once for riding my bike through a boulevard stop. Radio car stopped me and tagged me. Big deal. But they're going to send me to San Quentin. Maybe you can give me the gas chamber. How old are you? What difference does that make? How old are you? You figure it. All right, you look like you're about 11 to me. That's what everybody thinks. Be 15 my next birthday. Don't kid us, son. It's the truth. 15. That's what I'll be. 15. When were you born? 1939, November 2nd. You're small for your age, aren't you? Why do you say that? Aren't you? It's got nothing to do with it. Nothing at all. I can do anything any other kid can do. Anything. Don't you forget that. What's the matter with you? Is that a sore point with you? Huh? Your size. Is that a sore point? There's nothing wrong with my size. Doctor says that I'm all right. Just that some people aren't meant to be as big as others. That's all. There's nothing wrong with me. No, no. Come on, son. What's your name? Now, look, you know we're going to find out. How are you going to find out? We will. Now, why don't you save us all a lot of time and tell us the truth here? It'd be better if you did. If I do tell you. You're going to put it in the papers? What? I tell you. There are going to be a lot of reporters around. My name going to get in the papers? Not from us. Can't tell you, then. You mean if there's no reporters around, you aren't going to tell us your name? Is that it? That's the way it is. It's kind of funny, isn't it? Maybe that's the way it looks to you. Where do you live? Can't tell you that either. But you got things all wrong, son. It isn't what you want to tell us. That's got nothing to do with this. You're going to tell us what we want to know sooner or later. Where are we going? Georgia Street. That's where the jail is. Why do you ask that? Because I want to know. Yeah, there's a jail there. Reporters? What? They're going to be reporters there. What is this thing with reporters and you? What's this all about? Reporters put your name in the papers, don't they? Sometimes. Well, you get the reporters all lined up. You get them from all the papers. You have them there and I'll tell you all about it. The whole story. You just get the reporters and the photographers. Be sure about them, because I want some pictures, too. Well, look, let me get this straight. What? You say you aren't going to give us any information without the press being there. Is that right? That's the way it's going to be. 
You got it wrong, boy. What? Doesn't make any difference who's there. You're going to come around. Yeah. We'll find out. Twelve ten a.m. We got to Georgia Street Juvenile Bureau. Frank pulled the car into the side alley, and we took the subject out of the back seat. Up this way, son. It's a seedy-looking place. Yeah, well, it's been here a long time. Looks like a set out of a picture. Don't you worry about it, huh? You want to take him down the hall, Frank? I'll check with Hargrove. Yeah, come on, boy. Hi, Friday. Working kind of late, aren't you? Yeah, we are. I got the note from Simmons on the milk burglaries. Checked around the night wise. Nothing on it, so I didn't call you. I don't think you have to worry about it. I think we got the answer. Yeah? We just picked up a kid. We got him dead to rights in the market. Open bottle of milk right next to the cash register. Where is he now? Frank's got him down the hall. You think he's your boy? Yeah, it looks like it. Everything adds up. The entrance, what he tried to take, the milk. All along seems to fit. You got that kind of a case. What are you worrying about? Just two things. Yeah? Who he is and why he did it. He won't tell you? No. He's got some big thing working about the press. Says he won't give us anything without reporters being there. Makes it rough, Joe. You know the policy. Yeah, I do. He won't let us help him. If he wants publicity, take me down. Introduce me as a reporter. Well, it might do it. Won't do any harm to try. Let's go. Go ahead. Thanks. Who am I going to be? Well, tell him you're Sid Hughes from the mirror, huh? Yeah, might as well be one of the good ones. Son, you wanted to talk to somebody from the papers. It's against the policy, but we swung it for you. This is Sid Hughes from the mirror. Hi. You the fellow that held that guy on the phone in Baltimore? Yeah. Great. I read all about it. You gonna write me up like that? I hope not, son. There were two men killed in that operation. I read all the stories. Everybody did. That's how I mean for you to write me up. With a picture. What makes you think you got it coming? You break into one store and try to steal a couple of cartons of cigarettes? That doesn't make the first page. One store? I got into 19 of them. 19 before they caught me. That's important, isn't it? That's a story. I don't know. It might be. A couple of things we better get straightened out here. First off, what's your name? Better get your notebook out. Be able to take all this down. Don't worry about it, son. You just answer the questions. I'll get it. Yeah. Okay. My name's Elroy Graham. That's E-L-R-O-Y-G-R-A-H-A-M. Yeah. How old are you? I told you once. Almost 15. You said you'd broken into 19 stores. Is that right? Yeah. 19. Might have made it more, but something went wrong tonight. Had trouble with the burglar alarm. Thought I'd turned it off. Bad mistake. He's still working if it wasn't for that. Guess it only takes one, though, huh, Mr. Hughes? Yeah, I guess so. You want to tell us why you did it? What? You had to have a reason for committing these robberies. You want to tell us what it was? Sure. Good reason. Real good. All right, tell us. Well, you see, I always had trouble at school. Never seemed to quite make it. All the guys like me. They all did. All the girls do, too. Got girls calling me almost every night, asking me to take them to dances, stuff like that. I don't go much for stuff like that. You can understand, can't you, Mr. Hughes? Go ahead, Elroy. Well, they wanted me for all the teams, football, basketball, all the time asking me to play. But I figure if you want to get ahead in the world, you got to have an aim, some place where you want to get. Figure out that. Work for it, and you're going to get there. Don't you find that true, Mr. Hughes? Go ahead. That's the way it was with me. All the time turning down offers to be on some team, telling some girl that I couldn't take her to a dance. Just didn't have the time. Somehow I just couldn't make it. You can understand it. You've been around, you know all the successful kind of people. You write something, and a lot of people read it. You know what I mean. Don't you? Well, what's the matter? Something wrong? I'm trying to tell you what happened. I'm giving it to you straight. What's the matter? Now you want to tell us the truth, Elroy. What? I don't know why you're trying to sell us this line, boy. It isn't necessary. 
I don't know why you did what you did, but I do know you had a reason for it. Now, that's all we want to know, just the reason. You don't believe me? Afraid not. How about you? No, son, I don't. Mr. Hughes? No. Can't even lie right. <laughs> Can't even tell a lie good. All my life I've been trying to be like other kids. All the time getting beat up, getting left out of things. You know why? Do you know? Go ahead, son. <laughs> Big reason. Biggest reason in the world. Because <laughs> I'm almost 15 years old. I'm four feet seven inches tall. Four feet seven. Weight 97 pounds. That ain't very big, not big enough. All the time, other kids shoving you around. All the time, you're the joke. Gets to the time when you figure it's easy to laugh, too. Because if you don't, some kid's going to beat you up. Gets to the point where you don't care anymore. I used to clip out those coupons and send them in. Get the books back on how to build myself up. Worked at it. Didn't do nothing for me. I was still four feet seven and weighed 97 pounds. All the stuff I took didn't do no good. Still came out four feet seven, 97 pounds. All right, so do you want to tell us about the burglaries? I did it to be big, that's why. I had the things other people wanted, cigarettes, candy, the other things kids wanted. I had all that stuff that the other kids wanted. <laughs> Made me important. Don't you see that? You got to understand it, Mr. Hughes. That's why I wanted my picture in the paper. That's why I wanted the story. So the kids would know that I'd done something big. So they know. <laughs> all right, son. It's going to be all right here. No, it isn't. Like everything else I tried to do, I loused it up. I didn't mean to steal, but it, it was the only thing to do. The only way I had. Now, wasn't there some other? No. No, there wasn't. All the time, the other kids laughing. All the time, talking. I just couldn't stand it anymore. I just couldn't. Here you go. Thanks. You can understand it, can't you? It makes sense. What's that, son? Wasn't so much the kids saying I was little. Yeah. But I didn't want them to think I was small. Twelve thirty-six a.m. We contacted the parents of the Graham boy and asked them to come down to the station. We talked to them for an hour and tried to fill them in. In view of the fact that the parents of the subject were responsible persons, the boy was booked for violation of Section 459 P.C., delinquent. And he was released to his parents pending his hearing in juvenile court. Five days passed and we heard nothing from the boy. On December 24th, Frank and I checked into the office. Friday? Yeah, Earl. Kid in the back wants to see you and Smith. Okay, thank you. Hi, Mr. Friday. Well, hello, Roy. What can we do for you? Well, I guess you think it's kind of funny. What's that? I want to tell you that I sure think it's good what you did for me. Help me with that burglary thing the other night. Well, it isn't over yet, son. The court still has to make a decision on it. Yeah. But what you did to make me feel better. As far as I'm concerned, whatever the judge decides, I'll go along with it. I had a long talk with my folks. So we got it all talked out. All the way talked out. Well, that's good, son. We're glad of it, son. Maybe you guys won't like it. I mean, me knowing you such a short time and all. But, but I wanted to bring you these. Merry Christmas. Oh, that's awful nice of you, Elroy, but it isn't necessary. I want to give them to you anyway. For what you did for me. Oh, that's mighty nice of you, Elroy. Sure appreciate it. A couple of packages of cigarettes. 
Hope they're the kind you smoke. Yeah, son, they'll be fine. Thanks, son. Well, see you guys around, huh? Yeah, sure, son. Just one more thing, Sergeant. Yeah, son? Just thought you'd like to know. Yeah, what's that? I didn't steal those. The story you have just heard is true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On the 21st of December, a petition was filed in juvenile court on behalf of the subject. On January 26th, trial was held in Department 52 of Juvenile Court, State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles. Elroy Merton Graham appeared before the juvenile court where he admitted the alleged burglaries. At this time, under the counsel of the judge of the juvenile court, the subject was placed under the care of the probation department for a period of three years, with the provision that his parents take him to a competent psychiatrist. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors, Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Brasher. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Jack Crucian, Olin Soule, Sammy Ogg. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. Watch an entirely new Dragnet case history each week on your local NBC television station. Please check your newspaper for the day and time. Chesterfield has brought you Dragnet transcribed from Los Angeles. Hear Merrill Muller and the news next on the NBC Radio Network. Well, that was Dragnet from 1954, November to the 23rd to be exact. The name of that episode was The Big Present. Somewhere along the line, I also read that that one was called The, the Big Milk Bottle. Seriously, I'm not making that as a joke. Uh, officially, that was The Big Present. Kind of an interesting story. Um, just a couple of notes I made as I was listening to it. At the beginning, Joe Friday said it was December 14th and it was cold in Los Angeles. <laughs> well, I used to live in, in the LA area in Long Beach. And I know that anytime it gets below 50, the people out there think it's an Arctic storm. You know, they, they turn up the furnaces and they bundle up in uh, big heavy coats and complain about the weather. But I know that, uh, Considering the high in St. Louis is this coming week is going to be, or the low is going to be minus three, uh, and we're going to have one day where it never gets above seven, uh, we're not really talking about the same thing, are we? All right. Did you notice in there that they talked about that, that the fact that this guy was stealing milk, they weren't sure at that point if it was a child or, or an adult. And the guy at the um, that worked in the juvenile division said, well, maybe, maybe the, the thief has an ulcer. 
Remember back in the 50s, everybody used to drink milk for ulcers. That was very common. Uh, I can remember an uncle that had an ulcer, and he used to always have to drink milk, two or three or four glasses of milk a day. People that have peptic ulcers were told that uh, they could soothe their stomach and help heal the ulcers by drinking milk, but that wasn't really true, it turns out. The notes that I looked up in a medical journal said it might help for a few minutes, but that milk actually stimulates your stomach to produce hydrochloric acid, and that would end up making the ulcers much worse. So you haven't heard about that for years. Now, of course, they came out with, with drugs. But back then, boy, I'll tell you what, it was ulcers, and then people would keep big big jars of uh, Tums or Rolaids on their desk. If uh, I can remember a couple bosses that would do that, would chew those things like candy. Uh, let me see. I love the banter between Joe and, and Frank when they were talking about Faye's birthday. That's just, just really great. That's what made that team work so well. Sammy Ogg was the one that played uh, Elroy Graham, the, the 15-year-old kid that was doing the robbery. Do you remember Sammy Ogg? Do you remember the adventures of Spin and Marty on the old Mickey Mouse Club back in like 1957? Well, Sammy Ogg played Joe on that show. He also did a lot of radio in the in the uh, 50s. Oh, he played on numerous shows. He he pl- always played, you know, the young guy, the young kid. He had a youthful voice. But interestingly enough, he was born in 1939, so he was 15 when he recorded this episode of Dragnet. So of course he sounded much younger. He went on to do a lot of television in the 50s, but the last credit that was given to him in the internet uh, movie database was 1959, and there's really nothing else about him since then except somebody uh, made a note in there that he became a minister. So I don't know. He was born in 1939, so he would be 79 or 80 years old today. So I hope he's still with us, and I hope he's doing well. Well, as always, there will be more Dragnet episodes in the weeks ahead. Paladin, paladin, where do you roam? Paladin, paladin, far, far from home. Far from home. Far from home. All right, coming up now, we have an episode of Have Gun, Will Travel. It was originally broadcast on CBS on the 11th of September back in 1960. Pretty good story. It's entitled Deadline. It features, of course, John Daner as Paladin. This one was written by Ann Dowd, and featured in it is uh, Jeannie Bates, Tim Graham, and Larry Dopkin. Of course, Ben Wright plays Hey Boy, and Virginia Gregg plays (laughs) Missy Wong. So here we go. Have Gun, Will Travel. The name of this one is Deadline. I know you men have accepted money to make trouble in this camp. Now listen. There's a broken jaw waiting for every one of you if you're not out of here by sundown.
Have Gun, Will Travel. Starring Mr. John Daner as Paladin. San Francisco, 1875. The Carlton Hotel. Headquarters of a man called Paladin. Yes, over here, hey boy. Oh, Mr. Paladin, a uh, telegram come for you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Listen to this, hey boy. Would you consider a job foreman railroad construction crew? Need you, Wilway, Nevada, urgent Alan Hurley. Oh, this <laughs> man make a joke, Mr. Paladin? Foreman railroad construction crew? Well, I know this Alan Hurley, hey boy. I don't think he means it as a joke. I don't believe this telegram exactly covers the situation. Mr. Paladin, hey boy advise do not accept offer. Oh, why not? Oh, uh, hey boy, one time with members of Celestial Dragon Society work a railroad. Who? Very hard work. Foreman was very tough. Oh, so you don't think I'm man enough for the job? All right, uh, you want to be like that, you go ahead. Uh, we don't pack gun. Pack a pick and shovel. Uh, you find out. Oh, no, sir. No pick and shovel for me. If I'm the foreman, I'm the boss. You hear? Oh, you're a tough boss. <laughs> you bet. So, you ought to be tough boss. Oh, telegram say urgent. So, we go pack now? Well, maybe there's time for another cognac and coffee. Uh, please, hey boy. Uh, Isa. And listen, hey boy, let's make no mistake about packing the gun. I'm sure Alan Hurley doesn't want to hire me just on my merit as a construction crew foreman. Where the train stopped to let me off, there was a water tank, a corral, and a frame building with a big sign that said, Pat Casey, hauling. The one road that led from the railroad tracks was narrow, banked by sheer, rugged cliffs. I made the 99 miles to Willway in discomfort in a sort of combination freight and passenger, mule-drawn coach, obviously a Pat Casey enterprise. When we finally reached Willway, we pulled up in front of a saloon adjoining the freight yard, and I went in. There was one other customer in the place, an old gray-haired man who was having an argument with a bartender. I didn't get the gist of the words, but I saw the old man reach for his gun when suddenly a long bullwhip flicked out from the top of the stairway and snaked around the man's gun arm, jerking it upward and sending the bullet wild into the ceiling. You know, I won't have that in my place. It's robbery. That's what it is, robbery. Take his gun, Vin. Now unwind the whip from his wrist. All right, Buster, what's your problem? I got some more. I got to get to the railroad. Yesterday, he said when I come in, I could have a mule train for $400. Today, he tells me $700. 700 Vince told you that? Yes, ma'am, he did. Vince was mistaken. The train will cost you $1,000. A thousand? I can't pay it. Well, it's a shame. Well, you can always walk over the mountain. Ah, you... And here, take your gun. You'll need it. Well, you're not going to get away with this forever. You wait. Just you wait. Now, oh, what can I do for you, mister? Uh, oh, I just stopped in for a drink. Uh, it's quite a trick, that uh, thing with the whip. Yeah, I learned that for a vaudeville turn some years ago. It comes in handy. Vince, give the stranger a drink. I'll be up in my office. 
I'm busy. I don't want to be bothered unless it's important. Sure, Casey. Casey? That's Pat Casey. Yeah, uh, Pat Casey Hauling? Yep. Well, what do you know? Pretty, ain't she? You ought to see her when she's got on one of them fancy dresses instead of them men's clothes. Well, that old man in here, she was a little rough on him, wasn't she? He ought to know. It don't pay to get Casey riled. Anybody's got a mind to do any freighting out of here has got to deal with Pat Casey. And it's easier when she ain't riled. He got his oar this far, couldn't he use his own animals? Casey owns the right of way. Do business with her, or like she said, go over the mountain. <laughs> Quite a setup. Quite a woman. Mm. Which way is the King's Hotel? Out the door and to your left. Thanks. Hello, Hurley. Oh, Paladin, come in. Thanks. Oh, I'm glad you got here. Sit down, sit down. Yeah. Your wire said urgent. Urgent? <laughs> Minutes count, Paladin. We're working against a deadline so important that if we don't meet it, it means ruin. Ruin? Well, most of us citizens of Willway invested our whole future in the future of this town. Now, that was some time ago when we heard that the Central Pacific Railway was coming through here. Ah, uh, and instead they laid their tracks 99 miles away. Yes. Yeah. And at first we thought Willway was going to be another ghost town. Yeah, it's a sad thing to see a town die. Well, we weren't going to bury it without a fight. There was one chance to save it, a connection with the railroad. So we promoted our own line. We're laying a narrow-gauge track that connects with the Central Pacific. It's quite an undertaking. Well, it's been a battle all the way. Now that the end is in sight, it looks like we might lose after all. Why's that? Well, we've got opposition. Tough opposition. One Pat Casey. <laughs> Pat Casey? I just had the pleasure. <laughs> well, you'd be surprised how much weight that, that woman can throw around. She fought us on the franchise. She fought us on the financial backing. Now she's fighting us on construction. Well, I can see your point. The railway will certainly cut into that lucrative little business she has set up. Now, the track's been laid to just 12 miles outside of town. We've got three weeks to finish it or lose our franchise. Twelve miles in three weeks? Well, you ought to be able to do that. Oh, under ordinary circumstances, yes. But not the way we're going. One delay after another. Trouble among the men, trouble with the equipment, all kinds of trouble that consumes precious time. Trouble instigated by Casey? Yes. Now, we need your help. We've got to meet that deadline. You expect me to fight a woman? That's why I sent for you. Hurley, look... Paladin, I... I'll lay odds you never had a craftier adversary. <laughs> Seems to me you have picked pretty rough country for your railroad. Took our engineer and a party of surveyors exactly a year to lay out a route through here. This, uh, runs parallel to Casey's right away? Just five miles east. Oh, there's the construction camp down there. Listen, when I meet the men, you'll introduce me as the new foreman, is that right? Yes. Figured that'd be the way you could really keep your eye on what's going on. I'm hardly qualified to boss a construction crew. Well, the engineer will help you on any technical points. All you have to do is be tough. Tough? That seems to be it. Found out our last foreman was being paid off by Casey. I guess her money is buying all your trouble. Hey, wait a minute. Oh, oh. Oh. Hey, what's going on down there? That's the mess tent. Sounds like a riot. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 
tearing the place to pieces. Now leave it to me. I'm in Corbin, remember? Come on. All right. Quiet. You hear me? I said quiet. Now what's going on here? Answer me. What's the meaning of this? We ain't eating this slop. That's what we want to do. Meal time is over anyway. Get back on the job. Well, just who are you giving them orders? I'm bossing this outfit. Now get back on the job, you hear? Yeah, I hear you, mister. But I don't like the sound of you. You want to do something about it? Yeah. Oh, no, you don't. Next. All right. Anyone next? I know this man on the ground here was accepting money to make trouble in this camp. Now you listen to me. There's a broken jaw waiting for every one of you on that payroll, every one of you taking that dirty money. If you're not out of camp by sundown. You really scared them. Getting tough didn't seem to help the cause any, did it? <laughs> out of 30 men, we've got two left. Well, those men wouldn't have done you any good. Casey was paying him off to see that the road was never completed. It's a cinch she'd get her money's worth. Yeah, she managed to accomplish her purpose anyway. What do you mean? I mean we've been defeated, Paladin. By the time we have left, we'll never be able to get another crew to get it. I mean there's no place around here you can line up some men willing to work? Oh, we tried. These fellows we had all came from out of the state. Early, exactly how much remains to be done? Well, we blasted the cuts and laid in the culverts and put up the trestle work. All we need now are men who can swing a pick and shovel and lay down 12 mile of track. Wait. A pick and shovel? Oh, wait a minute. What? I think I can get you a crew, Hurley. Let's get back to town. I want to send a telegram. Hurley, this is King Chang, otherwise known as Hayboy. Those gentlemen lined up back there, the members of the Celestial Dragon Society, are all ready to go to work. For well, you. I certainly want to thank you, hey boy, you and your friends, for coming to our rescue. Oh, hey boy, tell members of the Celestial Dragon Society, hard work, tough boss. What is time? Telegram say, Misa Paladin need help. You better go. Uh, what did you tell the Carlton Hotel, hey boy? Oh, I tell her, Carlton Hotel, hey boy, must go. Have uncle in Salinas, very sick. Oh, no. Hey, boy, you didn't use that old story about your sick uncle and Salinas again. Oh, you saw always work. Uh, oh, listen, my. hey, boy, we have less than two weeks now to lay 12 miles of track. Do you think you can do it? Oh, sure. Don't you worry, Mr. Holly. All right, hey, boy, the ties are stacked up by the railhead back there. The rails are on the flat car. Well, I want you to know those ties are worth their weight in gold. We had to scout around sawmills as far away as Wyoming to get those. Hey, boy, get the boys lined up with picks and shovels. We'll get to work. Oh, excuse please, but I uh, look oh. like maybe better do something quick. Uh, look like a smoke come from where ties are stuck. Oh, hey, he's right. They're on fire. Helen, the fire is no accident. If those go up, we're finished. Come on. Get the water buckets. Hey, boy, get the boys lined up to fight fire. No. Hello, Paladin. Come on in. Uh, why the long face, Hurley? Well, because we're licked. You know it. A week and a day to go. The boys have been cutting ties in that stand of trees oh, up the canyon. Oh, yes, yes, I know. It's a good try, Paladin. Hurley, you'd be surprised at what they've accomplished. 
I talked to your chief engineer. He figures that with what we've managed to save from the fire, we've got enough to finish the job. He still thinks it can be done in time? Well, providing we can haul those tires down from the canyon immediately, but we'll need every mule in the county. Oh, well, you know who has all the mules in the county. Yeah. And I'm going to make a deal to hire them. Oh, you're out of your mind. Maybe. But it's worth a try. Hello, Vince. Oh, hello. Pat Casey in. Upstairs in her office. You want a drink? Later. Hey, you can't go up there. You want a bet? Hey, what's the idea? Well, Vince was right. He was? Ah. He told me I should see you in a fancy dress sometime. Instead of those boys' clothes. Hmm? Lovely. Mister, I know how I look in a dress. I also know you're with that railroad outfit. Now, what do you want? Yeah. I want to hire your mules. It'll cost you. We'll pay. When you want them. Hmm? I said, when do you want them? I, I, I'm sorry, I, I'm afraid I, I was expecting a fight. Does this mean you've come to realize how important the railroad is to Wilway? I'm not interested in anything that isn't important to Pat Casey. But why the change of heart? I can relax now. The country will take over. Have you looked at the sky? No. I know this country, mister. It fights back. I know it's going to rain. I know it's going to rain hard. I know it might even flood in those mountains. You'll never get those tracks laid in time, even if you have my mules. We'll take the chance. You fight hard. You do, too. Mine's a dedicated fight. It has to be. I swore I'd wipe the name of this town off the map, and I've just about got it done. Why so bitter? I was with a show troupe. My partner and I got stranded in this town. He was a sweet guy. The town wasn't very nice to us. We were used to that. But my partner was sick. Maybe if the town had been a little nicer, he'd be alive. <laughs> and the least idea why I told you that. I don't think a person in Woolway remembers. I'm glad you did tell me. All right. You can pick up the mules when the money's on the line. Now I'm busy. Yeah, over here, hey boy. Oh, Mr. Paladin, uh, boys found spikes in the last piece of track, but still has three miles to go. Yeah, I know, hey boy. That track ought to be here any minute now. It was on a siding at the other end of our line. I saw it. But, uh, Mr. Paladin, time short. Yeah, I realize that. Midnight tonight. Oh, somebody come. Probably Hurley. Well, he'll know just when the track will get here. Paladin. What about the track, Hurley? It won't get here. Yeah. What do you mean? A flat car was derailed eight miles up the way by a flood. The rails are buried in a wash, and there's no possible way to get them out in time. You mean this beats us with only three miles to go? How do you like that? At midnight tonight, because of those three miles, we lose our franchise. Oh, my, must do something. Uh, Hurley, hmm? Hurley, how does that contract read? 
Well, we agreed to have track laid from the Central Pacific lines to the city limits in a specified time. And we're just three miles short of the city limits? Yes, I'm afraid so. All right. You know about the mountain coming to Muhammad, don't you? What are you talking about? Can you call a special meeting of the Willway City Council? What, now? Yes, it's an emergency. Why? In view of the potential growth of Willway, I think we should point out to the city council that they should be far-sighted enough to allow room for that growth by extending the city limits three miles before midnight tonight. <laughs> oh, Paladin. Paladin, that sheer genius. Oh, Mr. Paladin, you his head, huh? Well, Hayboyd usually figures that you can get further that way than by being tough. Come on, let's go. Beat that deadline. is a big day for our town. Pretty exciting. Oh, just about time. Train go. Wait for me. Move that thing. Hey. Wait. That's Pat Casey. Mr. Holisbag, will you? Will I climb on that thing? Yeah, of course. Here. You're leaving Willway, Casey? Yeah, I had enough. Stay too long as it is. Here, allow me up. Oh, thanks. There you just put the bag down there. Understand you're from Frisco. Yeah. I may get out that way sometime. I'll look you up. Yeah. Paladin. Carlson Hotel. I'll remember. So long. Good luck, Casey. Thanks. I've been working on the railroad long day. I've been working on the Well, hello, Miss Wong. Hello, Missy Wong. Oh, Mr. Wong, so glad to see you home again. We're glad to be home again. Oh, Missy Wong, look. Hey boy's hand. He got his blisters. Oh, hey, boy. Oh, hey, boy, dig. Hey, boy, swing your pick. Hey, boy, work all the live long day. Hey, boy, you and the boys did a fine job. Here. Come on in my room and sit down for a minute before you report into the hotel. Oh, no, no. Hey, boy, better go say ready to start back to work. And, uh, hey, boy, so glad to be home. Never going to leave Carlton Hotel again. Oh, hey, boy. Have to leave right away. He has to leave. Have to leave. Ho-Chang. Ho-Chang? Hey, boy's uncle in Salinas. He's very he... sick. Ho? Ho. Oh, no. Miss Wong, you, you mean Hey Boy really has an uncle in Salinas? Oh, yes, sir. He's sick. Hey Boy must go. Well, Hey Boy. This is like the boy who hollered wolf. Uh, yes, sir. When uh, you Hey Boy holler uncle. <laughs> Will Travel. Created by Herb Meadow and Sam Rolfe, is produced and directed in Hollywood by Frank Paris and stars John Daner as Paladin with Ben Wright as Hayboy and Virginia Gregg as Miss Wong. Tonight's story was specially written for Have Gun, Will Travel by Ann Dowd. 
Featured in the cast were Gene Bates, Tim Graham, Charlie Lung, and Lawrence Dobkin. This is Hugh Douglas inviting you to join us again next week when CBS Radio presents Have Gun, Will Travel. That was Have Gun, Will Travel. And that was originally broadcast on the 11th of September in 1960. The name of that episode was Deadline. And I've seen it spelled both ways as one word, deadline, and also as two words, deadline. Both would be appropriate. I love uh, Hey Boy. Ben Wright was good in that role. And it was kind of fun to have him actually part of the story. That happened more than once on Have Gun, Will Travel. And I just love the fact that he was a member of the Celestial Dragon Society. Pat Casey was an interesting character, too. I noticed at the end she said, uh, Is it true, Paladin, you live in Frisco? (laughs) Never, never call San Francisco Frisco, especially to a person that uh, makes San Francisco their home. This story was very accurate in portraying the Chinese as being instrumental in building the railroads of America. In fact, um, the Colfax, California Historical Society placed a monument along Highway 174 to recognize the efforts of the Chinese in laying the tracks that link the East and West Coasts for the first time. With the California Gold Rush and the opening of the West came an increased interest in building a transcontinental railroad. Well, to this end, the Central Pacific Railroad Company was established and construction of the route east from Sacramento began in 1863. Although the beginning of the effort took place on relatively flat land, labor and financial problems were persistent, and it resulted in only 50 miles of the track being laid in the first two years. Well, the company needed over 5,000 workers, but it only had 600 on the payroll in 1864, so it was suggested that they hire Chinese labor, as they, after all, had already built the California Central Railroad and also the railroad from Sacramento to Marysville. Well, some people complained that the Chinese people, by stature, were just too small to complete such a monumental task. But Charles Crocker of the Central Pacific Railroad pointed out that the Chinese built the Great Wall of China. So the first Chinese were hired in 1865 at approximately $28 per month to do the very dangerous work of blasting and laying ties over the treacherous terrain of the High Sierras. The workers lived simply in dwellings. They cooked their own meals, often consisting of fish and dried oysters, perhaps some fruit, mushrooms, and even seaweed. Work started off slow and difficult. The Central Pacific faced the daunting task of laying tracks over terrain that rose 7,000 feet in just a distance of 100 miles. To conquer the many sheer embankments, the Chinese workers used techniques they'd learned in China to complete similar tasks. They were lowered by ropes from the top of cliffs in baskets, and while suspended, they chipped away at the granite and planted explosives that were used to blast tunnels. Many workers risked their lives and perished in the harsh winters and the dangerous working conditions. By the summer of 1868, 4,000 workers, two-thirds of which were Chinese, had built a transcontinental railroad over the Sierras and into the interior plains. And on May 10, 1869, the two railroads were to meet at Promontory, Utah, in front of a cheering crowd and a rousing band. 
a Chinese and an Irish crew were chosen to lay the final 10 miles of the track, and it was completed in only 12 hours. But let's face it, without the efforts of the Chinese workers in the building of America's railroads, the job would have been delayed for years and years and years. I've been working on the railroad all the live long day. I've been working on the railroad just to pass the time away. Can't you hear the whistle blowing? Rise up so early in the morn. Can't you hear the captain shouting? Something familiar. Something familiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Ah! Something appealing. Something appalling. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Nothing with kings. Nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Ah! Situation. No complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Well, on the Comedy Corner tonight, we're going to visit the town of Springfield and look in on the Anderson family. This is an episode of Father Knows Best that was first broadcast on the 18th of October in 1951, and it's entitled Gossip. Here it comes. It's Father Knows Best, transcribed in Hollywood, starring Robert Young as father. A half-hour visit with your neighbors, the Andersons, brought to you by Maxwell House, the coffee that's bought and enjoyed by more people than any other brand of coffee at any price. Maxwell House, always good to the last drop. To determine the sex of a gossip, we offer a positive plan. A gossip is always a woman, except when the gossip's a man. There's a little bit of gossip in the best of us, isn't there? Not that we want to talk about people, perish forbid, but, well, one thing leads to another, and you know how it is. That's the way it is with the Andersons, at any rate. They'd rather die than gossip about their friends. And they don't, except on very rare occasions, like this. Jamie, she didn't. She did? Well. Betty. Just a minute, Father. Janie, you know I don't like to talk about people, but... Well, Marion didn't exactly see her, but her cousin Phyllis has a friend. Betty, for the love of Pete, I've got to use the phone. Just a minute, Janie. Father, this is very important. Nothing can be that important. It's almost 2 o'clock, and you've been on the phone since noon. Father, don't be ridiculous. I'm not being ridiculous. And get off the phone. <laughs> Okay, I'll be through in two seconds. Hello, Janie, where were we? Betty. Oh, Marion's cousin Phyllis's friend. She's the girl who runs the lending library, sister. She was standing right there, and she told Phyllis... Betty, give me that phone. Father, please. I said give it to me. Don't you want to see who's at the door? I... 
All right. But as soon as I come back, I want the phone. Jumping creepers. A person can't even talk for five minutes. Two hours. So help me, she'll wind up with a cauliflower ear. <laughs> Jim, the doorbell rang. I know, honey. I'm answering it. Hello, Jim. Hello, Elizabeth. Come on in. Well, you look like your best friend just told you. <laughs> Not on the phone, he didn't. What's that? What? Oh, you mean Richard. Sing for the nice man, Angel. Such a sweet thing. I'd be lost without him. Where's Margaret? I think she's still in the kitchen. Margaret, Elizabeth Smith and Richard are here. Who? Elizabeth Smith and Richard. Richard is a canary. <laughs> Father, please. Well, he is. Look at him. Oh, isn't he a joy? Sing for the nice man, Richard. <laughs> I suppose when you got him, he wouldn't do a thing. Well, Elizabeth, what a lovely surprise. Oh, Margaret, darling. Father. Just a minute, Benny. Elizabeth, show Margaret your trick. My what? It's very good. I mean, it really is. This is a hot smartin' roller and one of the finest singers in the world. Watch this. Sing for the nice lady, Richard. <laughs> Remarkable, isn't it? Jim, really. Don't pay any attention to him, dear. He's in a mood. I'm not in a mood. I'm making polite conversation. Well, Elizabeth, you look wonderful. Well, I don't feel wonderful. That's why I'm going to my mother's. You aren't. She just said she was. <laughs> Jim, please. Can I even listen? <laughs> Father, I'm through with the phone. No. But if you're not going to use it right away... I am. I'm going to use it right now. Go ahead, dear. All right. But, Elizabeth, will you please explain one thing? Why the canary? Jim. Well, there's nothing mysterious about it. I just want Margaret to take care of Richard while I'm at my mother's. That's what I thought. And we'll be glad to, won't we, Angel? Uh, yes. Will you excuse me, Elizabeth? I have to make a phone call. Well, you go right ahead. Men... Aren't they the nosiest things you ever saw? Well, they're better than nothing, I suppose. <laughs> hmm. Now we're a refuge for homeless canaries. Richard. Next thing you know, they'll be parking their husbands over here. He's so well housebroken. <laughs> Hello, Sam. This is Jim Anderson. Fine. Say, Sam, about the game tomorrow night, would you mind playing over here? Well, Helen Phillips has a cold, and George said, What? Oh, the usual crowd. Jim Hathaway, Ed Davis, Hector. Say, wait a minute. Maybe Hector won't be here. Oh, Elizabeth's going home to her mother's, and... Hold on, Sam. I'll ask her. Elizabeth? Yes, Jim? I'll be right with you, Sam. Elizabeth, is Hector going with you? To my mother's? Heavens, no. This is going to be a vacation. Oh, well, then it's all right to count on him for the poker game tomorrow. Well, I wouldn't count on Hector for anything. He hasn't been home one night since he got that Betsy Ross candy account. Keeping him pretty busy, huh? Well, night and day. I don't think he even knows I'm leaving. Well, I'll mention it to him next time I see him. <laughs> Thank you, dear. You're so sweet. Oh, you just say that because it's true. <laughs> Hello, Sam. Sorry to keep you waiting. No, Elizabeth's going alone, but we'd better not count on Hector. Well, he's got this new deal with Betsy Ross, and... Oh, no, it's been going on for some time. <laughs> well, don't worry about it, Sam. We'll get somebody. Okay, see you tomorrow. Eight o'clock over here. Right. Good night, Sam. 
Say, Elizabeth, where are you going? Oh, I'm going home. Do you have any objections? Of course not, but... Leave her alone, Jim. She's got all her packing to do. Well, I don't think I'll ever get it finished. What time does your train leave? Nine o'clock. Well, if Hector can't take you to the station... Well, he'd better take me to the station. Betsy Ross or no Betsy Ross. Don't worry about Richard, dear. We'll take extra special care of him. Won't we, Jim? Sure. See that he gets a lettuce leaf every day and be careful that he doesn't get his feet wet. We'll be careful, dear. I'll give him a rub down every night. <laughs> Jim. Bye. Goodbye, Elizabeth. Have a wonderful time. Thank you. Give my regards to Broadway. Jim Anderson, when you decide to act silly... Mom. Telling Elizabeth you'd give Richard a rub down. Well, what did she want me to do? Take him for a walk around the block? Hey, Mom, where'd the canary come from? We're minding it for Mrs. Smith. Too bad about the divorce, isn't it? What divorce? Mr. and Mrs. Smith. <sighs> but how many times have I talked to you about carrying tales? I'm not carrying tales. I just said it was too bad about the divorce. That's all I said. I knew it. Honey. I knew Elizabeth wasn't running off to her mother's for no reason at all. Good grief, Margaret. Just because a 15-year-old boy comes in with a wild story... It isn't a wild story, Dad. Stevie Long said his mother said she even saw the broken dishes. <gasps> what broken dishes? The ones Mrs. Smith threw at Mr. Smith. <laughs> Jim, how horrible. I don't believe it. Why, she was just here. Wouldn't she have said something? I think she did. Don't you remember? She said you couldn't count on Hector for anything. And then she complained about being left alone. But Hector was working. She knew that. Did she? That's the question. Honey, you've known Hector as long as I have. Does he look like the sort to... Well, does he? Mommy, isn't it awful? Good grief. We're in here, Angel. Mommy, do you know what I just heard Mrs. Phillips tell Mrs. Hathaway? Helen Phillips. Now, there's a great authority for you. Jim... Please. She couldn't tell the right time if she had Big Ben sticking out of her ear. <laughs> Jim! Why, I wouldn't believe anything she said if... What'd she say, Kathy? <laughs> well... Jim, she's only a child, and this whole thing... But she already knows, whatever it is she knows. <laughs> Don't you, Kitty? I guess so. All right, what did Mrs. Phillips say? Well, she said that somebody told her that Mr. Smith was running around with Dolly Madison. <laughs> Kathy Holy cow Kathy, go up to bed But you told me to tell you Who's running around with Dolly Madison? Abraham Lincoln <laughs> Oh Margaret, where are you going? I'm going to call Elizabeth Smith Well, wait a minute Let's uh, talk it over first There isn't anything to talk over I'm not going to let two wonderful people like Hector and Elizabeth do anything foolish. Of course not, but... A beautiful home. A wonderful son like Billy. It's the silliest thing I've ever heard. Say, I've got an idea. Let's have them over for dinner. But, Jim... You call Elizabeth, I'll call Hector, and Betty can call Billy. What good will that do? Don't you see? It might make all the difference in the world. We'll show them how a really happy family can and should operate. Well... Where are we going to get the happy family? <laughs> We're the happy family. Oh. You know, it might work at that. Can I play too? We're all going to play. We're going to put the Smith family back together again if we have to use glue. If we can just convince them... Oh, dear. What's the matter now? We're having lamb chops. And if the Smiths are coming, there won't be half enough. 
Bud, you'll have to run down to the market. It's Kathy's turn. I'm only a little girl, and I can't carry a big, heavy package. <laughs> this is meat. We can't afford a big, heavy package. <laughs> Dad, anytime anybody has to go any place... Stop arguing, Bud. You can both go. Holy cow. Gee whiz. And look, both of you, no matter who it is, you're not to say one word about the Smiths to anyone. Is that understood? Yes, sir. Yes, Daddy. After all, we don't want to start a lot of gossip, do we? The dinner hour is close at hand in the white frame house on Maple Street. And a most inviting meal has been prepared for the Smiths. Lamb chops and succulent garden peas, snowy white potatoes with islands of yellow butter and an oven full of Margaret's delicious biscuits. And that isn't all. The Andersons have made some other preparations as well. Like this. Daddy, a car just drove up. Let me see. It's Mr. Smith, but he's alone. I know. The others will be along later. Now, do you kids remember what I told you? Yes, sure, Daddy. All right. As soon as he rings the bell... Jim, don't you think you're overdoing this a little? Of course not. We've got to look like a happy family, don't we? I suppose so. And what looks happier than a group of bright-eyed children? All right, places everybody. I don't think I can stand this. Now, look, Margaret. Let me know when Elizabeth gets here. I'm going back to the kitchen. That's the trouble with this world. There are too many cynics. Hey, that's pretty good. Kitchen, cynics, get it? <laughs> answer the door. Well, I thought it was pretty good. Mom said... I said answer the door. That's what I'm doing. Fine sense of humor this family has. All right, girls, remember, look happy. Greetings, Mr. Smith. Welcome to our happy home. Don't the Andersons live here? <laughs> sure, I'm Bud, remember? Well, the face is familiar, but I can't place the voice. Oh, hiya, Jim. Well, my old friend Hector Smith. What a wonderful surprise. Didn't you invite me to dinner? <laughs> of course. Then what's the big surprise? I mean, we're glad you could make it. Aren't we, girls? Yes, Daddy. We, we certainly, certainly are. <laughs> what are they supposed to be, Meredith Wilson's talking people? <laughs> They're just my happy little girls. Aren't you, girls? Yes, Daddy. I'm happy, too. <laughs> hey, you know, I'm beginning to think... Have I got all my clothes on? Naturally. Then why is everybody staring at me? We didn't mean to stare at you, Mr. Smith. We're just happy. Uh, I think I'll go home. Wait a minute. <laughs> let's, uh, let's go into the den. We'll be more comfortable. Okay. Would you like us to come too, Dad? That uh, won't be necessary, Bud. You and the girls can stay here and be happy. <laughs> I'll call you when dinner's ready, Father. I'll call you, too, Daddy. We'll all call you. Thank you very much. What's the matter, Jim? The kid's playing too hard or something? I don't think so. Why? I was just wondering. Say, uh, Elizabeth isn't here yet, is she? No, not yet. Uh, sit down, Hector. Oh, thanks. Oh, boy, does that feel good. You know... I was saying to Margaret just the other day... I should have had my brains examined when I took that Betsy Ross account. It's murder. Yes. 
I was saying to Margaret just the other day... You know, I haven't had a night off in weeks. You know, Hector, I was saying to Margaret... Father! Betty, Mr. Smith and I... But this will only take a second, Father, dear. Would you like me to bring you your slippers? Uh, no, thank you, Betty. I'm quite comfortable. Well, if you need anything, just call. All right, dear. Goodbye. What's the matter with her? <laughs> Nothing. She just, uh... You know, Hector, marriage is like an ocean liner. You run into all kinds of weather. Daddy! Kathy, I'm trying to talk to Mr. Smith. I know, Daddy. Would you like me to bring you a pillow or something? Why? So you'll be more comfortable. Oh, well, I'm quite comfortable as I am, kitten, but thank you just the same. You're welcome. Goodbye. <laughs> Jim, what's going on around here? Why, not a thing. Uh, what were we talking about? We weren't talking about anything. Hey, don't those kids ever leave you alone? <laughs> sure. Oh, I know. Hector... You'll find as you sail your ship on the troubled sea of matrimony... It's enough to drive a guy nuts. Heck, will you please let me finish? Oh, well, uh, go ahead. All right. Now I don't remember what I was saying. <laughs> uh, you, you were talking about boats. Oh, that's right. You see, Hector, marriage is like a boat. I know, they can both make you sick. <laughs> Look, if you'd rather make jokes... Say, Dad. Good grief. What is it, bud? Would you like me to run down to the drugstore or mow the lawn or anything? What for? I don't know. <laughs> bud, excuse me a minute, will you, Heck? I uh, have to fix something in the hall. Okay. Uh, while you're at it, why don't you tell the kids about boats and things? Bud, how do you expect me to accomplish anything if you keep running in and out of the den? I wasn't running in and out of the den. Is it working, Father? And you're another one. What? Every time I open my mouth, one of you sticks his head in. Do we sound happy enough, Daddy? You sound like the swing shift in a boiler factory. <laughs> but you said... I said we had to make Mr. Smith lonesome for his family. Did we? We sure did. I think he's leaving for Siberia in the morning. <laughs> for a vacation? Yes. Oh! I don't know why it is, but any time I ask you kids to do anything... We were only trying to help, Father... Well, you did a great job. You're welcome. Time I stick my neck up. Oh, hello, Elizabeth. Where is he? Where is that worm? Why, Elizabeth. After I gave him the best years of my life. The best years of my life. I know. Uh, why don't you kids go into the kitchen? We'll have to do stuff. Go ahead and stop arguing. Come on, bud. Holy cow. Gee whiz, just when it gets interesting. Now, uh, look, Elizabeth. Elizabeth, I thought I heard... Sweetheart, what's the matter? Keep away from me. Don't you dare touch me. What? Hector, why don't we all sit down and talk it over? Talk what over? People staring at me, sympathizing with me. For what? What did you do? <laughs> what did I do? Look, Hector, this whole thing... What thing? I don't know what you're talking about. Won't do you any good, Hector Smith. I know all about that woman on Madison Avenue. <laughs> what woman on Madison Avenue? Barbara Fritchie. <laughs> I don't know any Barbara Fritchie, do I, Jim? Of course not. It's Dolly Madison. <laughs> 
my pal. Look, look, Elizabeth, I don't know what this is all about. All I know is Jim called me at the office. Stay away from me. Don't even come near me. Jim, do you know what she's talking about? I don't like to say anything, Hector, but after all, well, you had to expect something like this, didn't you? You mean this comes with the dinner? <laughs> Twenty years. Twenty long years. And he throws me away like an old glove. Now I think I'm going nuts. Nothing makes any sense. Now wait a minute, both of you. This is the sort of thing a lot of married people have to go through. What is? A period of readjustment, getting things straightened out. After all, Hector's in that dangerous age, aren't you, Hector? <laughs> Oh, I'm a real dangerous fella. <laughs> Elizabeth, you poor angel. Oh, Margaret, what am I going to do? There, there. Everything's going to be all right. Jim, be a good guy, huh? What did I do? Heck, you don't have to pretend with me. I don't, huh? Of course not. You're with me in spite of everything, huh? In spite of everything. Okay, but tell me one thing. What did I do? <laughs> well, if you want it like that... Excuse me. Now, let me see. I was sitting in my office and the phone rang. Then I said, hello. And he said, would you like to come over for dinner? And then I said, sure. And he said... Where is he? Where's my father? He's right here, Billy. Oh, my boy. My poor fatherless boy. Fatherless? <laughs> hey, what happened to me? Billy, you poor thing Isn't it awful? I don't know We've got to be fair We've got to let him tell his side of the story Don't we, Mr. Anderson? That seems reasonable All right We're listening, Father Go ahead with your story Okay There were these two Irishmen Pat and... <laughs> not make a mockery of it. Of what? I'll handle this, Mother. After all, I'm the man of the family. Father, all these nights that you were supposed to be working at the office... Suppose? What do you mean, suppose? Hector, it's all over the neighborhood. It won't do you any good to deny it. Deny what? About you and Molly Pitcher. <laughs> Who? Now, look, Heck. Isn't any use, Jim. If he won't even confess... How can I confess? I haven't done anything. Heck, why don't you make a clean breast of it? Of what? Then Elizabeth can forgive you and you can start life all over again. I don't want to start life all over again. I'm having enough trouble the way it is. <laughs> Father, won't you please tell us the truth? Who is Molly Pitcher? I don't know. I do. What are you kids doing back there? They were eavesdropping. Bud, aren't you ashamed? All right, Bud. Come on out. You too, Kathy. <laughs> Hiya, Dad. How's every little old thing? <laughs> we weren't hiding, Daddy. Oh, gosh, no. The curtain just got in the way. <laughs> sort of. Well, we'll go into that later. Now, what's this about Molly Pitcher? We're studying about her in school. She carried water for the soldiers. And she shot off a cannon. In the Revolution. That's fine, but that isn't... Wait a minute. Poor Billy. Betty, be quiet. And leave Billy's hand alone. Oh, I don't mind, Mrs. Anderson. What a bunch of fools. Who? All of us. Don't you see what happened? Molly Pitcher and Barbara Fritchie and Dolly Madison... Sounds like an all-American harem. <laughs> Hector. 
Somebody started a rumor about Betsy Ross, and it twisted and turned all out of shape. You see, I've been telling you kids for years not to believe the wild stories you hear. You mean somebody's been talking about me? Hector, have you really been working every night? Of course I've been working every night. What do you suppose Betsy Ross pays me for? And there wasn't anybody else? Elizabeth, you know I wouldn't look at anybody else. Not even sideways. Oh, Hector, I'm so ashamed. Me too. I think we're all a little ashamed, aren't we? I am. I'm awful ashamed. <laughs> I'm just hungry. Oh, dear, I forgot all about the lamb chops. Everybody go into the dining room and I'll be right with you. Oh, oh, right. Come on, buddy. Say, uh, Jim, yes, Hector. Who do you suppose could have started it? All that talk about me, I mean. I don't know. But if I ever do find out, so help me, I'll wring his scrawny little neck. That's my pal. Yes, sir. The dinner is over, and the Smiths, solidly reunited, have wended their homeward way. But the evening at the Andersons isn't quite over, nor is the gossip. Like this. Dad. I'm in here, bud. Dad, there's a Mr. Workman wants to see you. Workman? Oh, he's that friend of Mr. Gribble's. Be right with you, Mr. Workman. Not at all. Not at all. Bud, tell your mother we'll probably need some more coffee. You bet, Dad. Well, Mr. Workman, how are you? Mr. Anderson, I do hope you won't uh, resent this intrusion. Intrusion? Why, this is a pleasure. Won't you sit down? Uh, thank you. Now, what can I do for you? Well, sir... As head of the Springfield branch of the State Historical Society, I should like your advice on a matter of great importance. Naturally. Anything I can do... I was sure you'd feel that way. Well, sir, you know Hector Smith, don't you? Of course. Well, sir, I've been trying to find the source of a very authentic rumor. Uh, about Heck? Exactly. Do you know that Hector Smith is a direct descendant of Martha Washington? Oh, no. <laughs> Join us again next week when we'll be back with Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young as Jim Anderson with Roy Bargy and the Maxwell House Orchestra. In our cast were Ted Donaldson as Bud, Gene Vanderpile, Rhoda Williams, Norma Jean Nelson, Herb Bygren, Irene Tedrow, Sam Edwards, Alan Harris, and yours truly, Bill Foreman. So until next Thursday, good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's favorite brand of coffee. Always good to the last drop. Father Knows Best was transcribed in Hollywood and written by Ed James. Join Mr. Keene, Tracer of Lost Persons, tonight on NBC. From October 18th, 1951, that was Robert Young and Father Knows Best. And the name of that episode was Gossip. And really, it had a pretty good lesson to be, to be learned there, wouldn't you agree? I like at the beginning when Betty's on the telephone and Jim's trying to get her off the telephone so he can use it. That was such a common complaint.
in the 50s and in the 60s and really even into the 70s, probably until cell phones came out. If you only had one phone in your house, and especially if you were on a party line, but uh, I think party lines were pretty much done for, at least in, in Southern California where I grew up, after the, uh, the 60s, probably in the 70s, most people had private lines. I remember trying to get hold of my friends and their sisters would be on the phone and talking forever. Ever. And, I, and guys did too, but I think girls were a little more prone to that. And a lot of times they were talking to, to boys, so I guess it, it went both ways. But uh, fighting over the telephone was very common when we were kids. That episode featured um, Herb Vigran as uh, Mr. Smith. And if you don't know who Herb Vigran is, you probably recognized him from his voice. Go into Google and search for Herb Vigran, V-I, V like Victor, I-G like George, R-A-N, and, and look at images. And you'll instantly recognize him. He, he was so prevalent in television, especially in the 50s and 60s. He started off, interestingly, uh, in fact, I have some notes here. He was born in 1910 uh, in Cincinnati. He went to New York to pursue a job as an actor on Broadway, and he did get uh, some, some roles there. And very quickly then he moved to Hollywood because he wanted to be in the movies or on radio. And he had no money, and he, and he went there with only his, his Broadway experience. In 1939, he went to his agent and helped him secure a lead in a radio drama entitled Silver Theater. According to uh, one source, the actor had a $5 recording made of the radio show and used it as a demo to get other jobs with his unique voice. And people hired him. He performed in radio shows with the likes of Jack Benny, Bob Hope, Lucille Ball, Jimmy Durante, and a whole host of other shows. Then he went to television, and this is where he really made a splash. He had hundreds of television appearances on shows like, well, I remember him from The Adventures of Superman. He was always one of the bad guys. He was in six episodes of that. He was in the 1951 TV series Dragnet in 11 different episodes. He was in four episodes of I Love Lucy, seven episodes of The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, He was in three episodes of The Dick Van Dyke Show, two episodes of Perry Mason, as well as Petticoat Junction, The Brady Bunch, oh, just a whole host of other shows. Uh, Vigrant had a recurring role as Judge Brooker in the television version of Gunsmoke between 1970 and 1975. In all, it's said he had more than 350 appearances in either TV shows or motion pictures. Herb Vigrant. He was with us until 1986. He died in 1986. He was 76 years old, and he was survived by his wife of 34 years, Belle, and two sons. So he was a faithful husband, I guess, all those years, and good father, and just a nice guy. But boy, what a unique voice he had, and what a, what a real talent he was. Herb Vigran. Now. 
you can tell from that music, it is time for us to travel to Dodge City, Kansas, circa 1874. We're going to walk up Front Street, shoulder to shoulder with Marshall Matt Dillon. Along the way, we're going to look for Chester and Doc and Kitty and the whole gang on another episode of Gunsmoke. This one was first broadcast on CBS on the 8th of October in 1955. It's a Pretty, pretty effective character study. It's entitled Good Girl, Bad Company. And here it comes. West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun smoke, starring William Conrad. Transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America. And the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. The first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job. And it makes a man watchful. And a little lonely. Open the door. Maybe you'll find out, Chester. I never heard of nobody knocking on this door before. It's Major Harris, Mr. Dillon, from Fort Dodge. Uh, come in, Major. Marshal Dillon. Sit down, sit down. I'll stand, thanks. Marshal, last Saturday, two United States Army soldiers were murdered while driving a supply wagon from here to Fort Dodge. Government payroll was stolen. And you seem to have taken no interest whatsoever in the matter. Well, now, Major, protecting the Army isn't exactly my job. The Army can protect itself, Marshal. Then how come there were only two soldiers carrying your payroll? Where was the rest of your Army? On maneuvers. On maneuvers? In my command, troops remain in garrison as little as possible. Then you were asking for trouble, Major, knowing there was a payroll coming in. Marshal, the arrival of the payroll was secret. Even the two men carrying it didn't know what it was. Somebody knew. Yes, they did. Marshal, I regard this crime as a demonstration of your inability to control these Dodge City ruffians. What? I mean it. 
If no arrests are made in the matter, I'll give these bad men of yours a taste of martial law. We'll see how they like that. Now, wait a minute, this Major. This town will be patrolled 24 hours a day. Look, Major, you don't know these men. You run the army in here and they'll fight. There'll be trouble. Bad trouble. They brought it on themselves. No. You made a mistake and you've got to find somebody to blame it on. I want whoever committed those murders. And I want that money, Marshal, within a week. And if any more crimes are committed against the Army meantime, we'll take this town over at once. Good day, gentlemen. Jenny Lane. Ah, how do you do, Johnny? Pleased to meet you, Marshal. Sit down, Matt. Ah. You're new in Dodge, aren't you, Jenny? Oh, I've been here most a month now. Oh, she's only been working at the Long Branch about a week, Matt. Ah, how do you like it? Fine, but I'm kind of worried now. Oh? It's this army business everybody's talking about. Will it be bad, Marshal? Yeah, it could be. You think it'll happen? Might, especially if there's any more trouble. Say, Jenny, has your corporal been in? He was, earlier. Well, how do the soldiers feel about all this? Well, he says they sure aren't anxious to mix it with all these gunmen and buffalo hunters and the like. But he's not my corporal, Kitty. He's just a lonely kid. He's not so lonely. He spends more time here than he does at the fort. How does he manage it, anyway? Well, they made him a clerk, a sort of a bookkeeper. His time's pretty much his own. Well, he's lucky. Good, safe job, too. Yeah, I suppose it is. Well, I... I better get busy. I'm glad to have met you, Marshal. Glad to have met you, Jenny. I'll see you again. Sure. Nice girl. Mm-hmm. Where's she from, Kitty? Uh, Hayes City, last. Huh. What, uh, what's the name of this corporal who's been sniffing around? Stark. Corporal Stark's all I ever heard. Now, what else do you know about Jenny, huh? She doesn't talk much about herself, Matt. Well, uh... Maybe you can get her to, huh? All right. I'll try. Meantime, I'm going to wire the sheriff in Hayes City. He might know something. You must have some reason for all this interest, Matt. No, I haven't, Kitty. But I might find a reason for him through. Mr. Dillon, just come in. Oh, what? The answer to that telegraph you sent to Hayes City last night. Oh? Here. Oh, thanks. I don't know what it says or anything. Jenny Lane left Hayes about a month ago with a stranger called Nate Brand. Nothing against girl, but believe Brand a wild one. Regards, Clint Adams. Never heard of no Nate Brand. No, neither have I. What's he doing, hiding him somewhere? Oh, uh, Matt. Yeah, what is it, Doc? Trouble. Oh, what kind of trouble? A shooting. Out behind the Texas Trail. What? It's bad, Matt. It's real bad. And well, a shooting's always bad, Doc. Yes, but this one's going to lead to a lot more shooting. Somebody just killed a soldier.
There he is, Mr. June. Planting them weeds over there. How come there's no crowd around here? There isn't a man in sight. No. Uh-huh. Who told you about this, Doc? The bartender. He said he heard a shot and went out back and found him. He sure looks dead, all right. He's dead. Is that all the bartender had to say? That's about all. Except that when he went back into the saloon and told everybody there about it, they they didn't move a hair. I guess maybe they was thinking about the army taking over Dodge. Why didn't the bartender come to me first? Well, I don't know, Matt, but I've got the feeling that maybe nobody knows whether you're going to be on their side or on the army's. Yeah, they never do trust me, do they? Chester. Chester? Give Doc a hand here. I'm riding out to Fort Dodge. Major. What brings you to Fort Dodge, Marshal? Murder. What? Murder. A soldier? Uh Uh-huh. Who? I don't know. Some private. Dodge City, of course. That's right. Have you arrested the murderer? Nobody saw it happen, Major. I see. Well, Marshal, you leave me no choice. Wait a minute, Major. I didn't ride out here just to bring you the news. I want something from you. I want you to keep all the soldiers out of Dodge for the next 48 hours. Put it off limits. That's not exactly what I had in mind. Listen, Major, Dodge City's an armed camp. It's full of men who fought Indians, who fought the war between the states, who fought each other ever since they could spit. They'll fight you next. They'll make you hate it. They can't fight the army. They can and they will. And a lot of men will die on both sides. But I'll make you a deal, Major. A deal? You give me 48 hours and I'll find your killers. You better take it. Because it'll get you out of a lot of trouble. All right. But I want the criminals delivered here. To me. Sure. But I might have to kill them to get them here. Doc. I've been waiting for you to get back. Oh, anything more happened? Not yet, but I found a letter on that soldier. His name was Ravitch. Oh, anything else? Yes. I dug the bullet out of him, Matt. And you know something? I haven't seen lead like that since I mustered out in 65. Oh, what do you mean, Doc? That soldier was shot with a cavalry pistol. He was? I'd swear to it. Thanks, Doc. I'll see you later. Well, well, now, where are you going? Into the Long Branch. I want to talk to a friend of mine. I've been expecting you, Matt. Oh, have you, Kitty? Chester was in a while ago. He told me about that telegram from Hayes City. Look, Kitty, i got to work fast. There's going to be a war around here soon. I found out a couple of interesting things, Matt. One is Jenny's been seen riding horseback at night towards the Arkansas down by Brandy Bend. Oh? It might have something to do with that man she left Hay City with, Nate Brand. Yeah. I think he's hiding out down near Brandy Bend. Any idea why? Corporal Stark and Jenny went for a ride one night. When was that? The night before that army payroll was robbed. Uh-huh. Where's Jenny now, Kitty? 
Over at Delmonico's having supper. Kitty. What? I'm the only one who can ever thank you for it, but uh, I think you just saved an awful lot of lives. Evening, Jenny. Well, hello, Marshal. Won't you sit down? You uh, sure Corporal Stark won't mind? <laughs> Don't be silly. <laughs> Besides, he's out at the fort. How when did you see him last? Oh, about noon, I guess. Uh-huh. Anybody with him? Private Ravage. Uh, Corporal Stark didn't shoot him, Marshal. They were good friends. They worked together in the bookkeeping office. I see. That's a pretty good job, isn't it? Handling expenses... Figuring out the payroll, things like that. Oh, I, I don't know. He never talked about it much. Also, he'd be in a good spot to know when to expect payroll money in, wouldn't he? Even when it was kept secret? You'd have to ask him, Marshal. But, uh, <laughs> this isn't why you found me here, is it? No, of course not, Jenny. I'm sorry. You, you look, uh, real pretty tonight. <laughs> Thank you, Marshal. You really mean that? Sure, sure I mean it. Uh, Marshal, I have to work late tonight, but uh, I can get off tomorrow. I know it's bold of me, but couldn't we uh, maybe take a ride together? There'll be a moon. Oh, uh, where would we ride to, Jenny? Oh, I don't know, anywhere. Maybe down along the Arkansas. I know, let's ride down toward Brandy Bend. All right, Jenny. We'll ride down toward Brandy Bend. The idea of a moonlight ride by the river with as pretty a girl as Jenny Lane was fine. Except that it was going to end with a man dead. Either me or her friend, Nate Brand. She was obviously leading me into an ambush. And there wasn't a thing I could do but go cheerfully along. I met her the next night. We started out. But a mile or so before we got to Brandy Bend, I pulled up and suggested we dismount and let the horses blow a little. They won't run away, will they? The horses? No. I don't worry. Ah, here's a good place to sit. What's the matter? You nervous, Jenny? No. No, of course not. Ah, sit down. Take it easy, then. All right. This better? Sure. Yeah, it's a nice night, isn't it? Yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> You're not even looking at it. Something on your mind, Jenny? No. Why should there be? Why, you tell me. That's nothing, Marshal. Really. Let me ask you something, Jenny. Did you ever see a man killed? What? Why'd you say that? What, did you? Yeah, once in the saloon. Uh, tell me, did he uh, have a fair chance? Of course, he even drew first. Then you never saw a man shot in the back or uh, ambushed, huh? What are you driving at, Marshal? Oh, I'm just thinking about people, Jenny. Like, sometimes a person isn't really bad. He just falls into bad company. 
What's that got to do with me? And I think it sort of goes against your grain, the idea of a man being killed without a fair chance. Why'd you come with me, Marshal? Somebody had to. I suppose you know about everything. I think Private Ravage got killed by Corporal Stark because he found out about the payroll deal between you and Stark and Nate Brand. Sure. Well, what are you going to do now? Going to ride to Brandy Bend with you. But why? Because I'm gambling that you're still decent enough inside to let me have that fair chance I was talking about. That's quite a gamble, Marshal. Yeah. But we'll ride slow. And you'll have a little time to think about it. Make a nice camp down here. Plenty of wood. Get your water right out of the river there. It's real nice, don't you think, Jenny? Man could hide out real easy down here. Marshal. I could be safe here, even while the army was trying to move into Dodge, and a lot of men were being killed over it. Yeah, it's real peaceful down here. Marshal, I can't do it. All right, tell me, Jenny. That big cottonwood up ahead. On the left. Okay. Now, keep moving. When we get close, I'm going to ride ahead fast. You stay back out of gunfire. All right. Yeah, it sure is pretty down here, Jenny. Maybe someday we can come down and go fishing, huh? This river's full of catfish. You ever eat a real catfish dinner? That can be mighty good if we're small enough. All right, stay back, Jenny. I'll be all right, Marshal. Sure. He killed your horse. I'll show you where he hid his and the payroll money. Okay, Jenny. Then you can take me back to jail. Yeah. But there's one thing, Jenny. What you did tonight's going to get you out of jail real soon. Because I'm going to see you get your chance, too.
produced and directed by Norman McDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Our story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Sound patterns by Tom Hanley and Ray Kemper. Featured in the cast were Virginia Christine and John Daner. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Recently, many of your cards and letters have requested an evening time for Gunsmoke Radio. In response to these requests, the makers of Chesterfield and L&M Filters will now also bring you Gunsmoke every Sunday evening at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So now you can take your choice and hear Gunsmoke transcribed at the time that is most convenient, either on Sunday evenings or Saturday at this time. And remember... The makers of Chesterfield and L&M Filters also present Gunsmoke for your enjoyment on television. Tonight, watch an entirely different Gunsmoke show on the CBS television network. Check your local TV listings for time and channel. Well, that was Gunsmoke from October the 8th, 1955. The name of that episode was Good Girl, Bad Company. And that's the first time we've ever played that one on Boomer Boulevard. Well, Chester is telling us we are all out of time, so it's time for us to pick up all of the shows and carry them back into the vault. That's going to kick things in the head for another week. Don't worry, though. We will be back next week with our archive show, back in two weeks with a brand new show. And uh, we look forward to getting back together with you then. In the meantime, do stay warm. If you're any place in the Midwest or the East Coast, you're in for it. We're in for it. Because I'm with you. I'm with you. We're going to have... <laughs> A very cold stretch here, so let's just all bundle up and and uh, be safe and stay warm. This is Bob Bro. I just am so happy that you stopped by to share these shows with me tonight, and I am so glad you met me. Going out tonight, we're going to hear from Robert Klein, and this was a tune he actually sang in a Broadway show that he starred in back in, I believe it was the 70s. Bye-bye, everybody.
are not afraid to die. It's just that I recall back when I was small, someone promised that they'd catch me, and then they let me fall, and now I'm falling, falling fast again. Why do I always take a fall when I fall in love? You'd think by now I'd learn. Play with fire, you get burned. But fire can be oh so warm, and that's why I return. And walk away. That's what I should do. My head says go and find the door. My heart says I found you, and now I'm falling, falling fast again. Why do I always take a fall when I fall? Turns out the same. Loving someone, losing myself, only got me to blame. Help me, I'm falling, falling. Catch me if you can. Maybe this time I'll have it all. Maybe I'll make it after all. Maybe this time I won't. When I fall in love.